So in order to get us on the same page, let's talk about what we mean by the word repentance. Okay, uh, and there's a lot of ways you can define it, uh, and I found a really simple one, uh, is that, that repentance is a change of mind, a change of heart, and a change of direction. That's what it is. It's a change of mind, it's a change of heart, and it's a change of, of direction. One of, one of my commentators explained it like this this week. Uh, it says, all of us in our sins, apart from Christ, were driving toward the city of sin. But something happened causing us to switch lanes and drive in the opposite direction. That, that in Christ we are driving uh, with the city of sin in our rearview mirror as we head to the city of God. That is what repentance is. It's that turning in the heart and the mind that results in a changing direction of the entire life. That John preaches his heart out that we must repent for the forgiveness of sins. And, and so, so there is there's no forgiveness unless there's first repentance there. That to forgive is to cause two things to kind of stand apart from one another, to, to separate them. And so, so in forgiveness, we place the guilt and the offense on one side, and then we put the, the offending and the guilty person on the other side. We relieve them of their guilt against us. And so the Bible puts it this way, that, that as far as the east is from the west, so far has God removed our transgressions from us. And if you want to cross-stitch that this week, that's, that's Psalm 103, verse 12. So this is, this is what John preaches in the wilderness as, as people come to him. So, so, so when it comes to John, okay, we need to realize that he doesn't just happen upon the scene. Right? That, that Isaiah, the prophet, tells about his coming 700 years before he's even born. That he would be a forerunner who clears the path and makes ready for the coming of the Lord himself. Uh, in fact, uh, Luke will quote Isaiah's comments in Isaiah 40 about, about valleys being filled and mountains being leveled and, and crooked places uh, made right. Not because God is interested in transforming physical land, but because this, this is a metaphor for the construction project in the human heart. Uh, that there, is, there are vivid ways of describing repentance. And the intention for our understanding is that repentance looks like a deep alteration of the heart. That's what it is. And so, so verses 7 and nine through 9 give us a glimpse into uh, John's preaching. Uh, that, that John's theology of repentance uh, affected his proclamation. And I think, I think here's what we learn as we get into this, that, that this preaching was confrontational. Because here you have uh, a people coming to John to be baptized, so these people are already sympathetic to this message. They're coming to do something that is religious, but John is well aware that you can be religious and lost at the same time. You can be. And so, so, so you, you can engage in all kinds of of external religious exercises and not be repentant, which is why he's going to confront them uh, with some really uh, nice and casual words uh, at the beginning of verse 7. He looks at them and he said, Therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized, you brood of vipers. And you're like, oh, that's not a good welcome, John. He says, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee the wrath to come? 
And then he says something that is so incredibly important. He says, bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And then watch this warning. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham our father. For I tell you, God is able to uh, able from these stones to raise up children from Abraham. He says, even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Now, in our day, we are told uh, we must always be nice and never offend people. Uh, and, and, but right from the start, John proclaims his warning. John knows there is a God who has appointed a day when he will pour out his anger, his indignation against sin. And, and the thing to really be worried about is, uh, is about the judgment of God, not the politeness of the preacher. Okay? And so the most loving thing John can do in this moment is say, you guys don't get it. It's the most loving thing. He says, you must repent. Well, that makes me feel uncomfortable, John. Well, yeah. Yeah. But I promise you this. If you live under the judgment of God and you are not saved, then you will forever live uncomfortable. In torment. And so, so sometimes the most loving thing for the preacher to do is to tell you the things that we don't want to hear, uh, but that are true and necessary for our soul. Uh, John, uh, Verse 18, when we get there, uh, probably, uh, hopefully next week, um, it's going to say that John's preaching was, was good news. Uh, and, and it's wise who have ears to hear those things. But, but John doesn't just confront for confrontation's sake. Uh, he's going to confront them about the quality of their lives. Okay? Because repentance isn't simply mental. True repentance is accompanied by fruit, by good deeds. It shows itself in those things. And this is so important for us to realize that there is no gospel preaching without, preaching, without the preaching of repentance, of, of the turning from sin to God, demonstrating that turn in, in new life. And this is why verses 8 and 9 are important, because verse 8 comes in and it says, you can't ride into heaven on the coattails of your grandmother who really loved Jesus. You can't, you can't just say, hey, uh, my family went to church, therefore I am saved. What, what the gospel demands is a response from each and every one of us. Each and every one. So you can't, you can't do that. Just like I heard this quote the other day, and I thought it was beautiful, when it comes to uh, teens or kids and, and parenting, that, that your kids can't survive on the fumes of your uh, walk with Jesus. That they must experience it for themselves. So understand that, guys. That it doesn't matter how many times you've come to church, unless you experience Jesus for yourself, then, then you can't look at them and say, well, I have Abraham. Because John says God can make children out of these rocks of Abraham. Then in verse 9, he warns us of the urgency by saying how the acts of God's judgment is already in motion. That, that this forerunner introduces us to a coming king who is also judge. It's the fact that he is judge that makes repentance so deeply necessary. And repentance is part of the road of salvation. That, that failure to repent brings damnation. And there are only two ways to live. Okay? There, there are only two ways to faith. Either we face the condemnation that is to come, or we face the salvation in Jesus. 
And here's the thing, that this salvation, if you are in Christ, the condemnation is behind your back. That you no longer have to return to. You no longer can return to it if you are indeed found in Christ Jesus. Now perhaps you've never repented of your sin. You don't have to throw it down, Mark. I'll wrap up here eventually. Perhaps you've never repented of your sin, and if you've, if you've never turned in mind and heart to agree with God about your sin and, and turned in mind and heart and life to follow Jesus, then, again, you, you, you could be religious. You could even be raised in the church, but, but you're not yet a Christian. You're not. And you may be offended that I call you a sinner, and if so, I think that's probably an indication that you don't understand your sin deeply enough. That, that you don't understand the necessity of your repentance. And the true offense is, is not that your sin is being pointed out. The offense is that God has offered you a way and you still refuse it. That God has offered you a way that costs so very much to him. And you say, I can find satisfaction elsewhere. And what has God done about sin? He's, he's charged us nothing for his salvation. That God sent his son into the world to live a righteous life that, that we, we couldn't live. We couldn't. That, that Christ came into the world voluntarily and died the death that we deserved in order to pay for the penalty of our sins. That the wrath of God is absorbed by the Son of God. That he is the propitiation of our sins. That, that by the Son of God on the cross so that sinners would not have to suffer the punishment if they trust in in Christ alone. And so so what happens in, in verse 10 is, is going to be so beautiful because not only does John confront people in verses 7 and 9 with a message that we all need to hear, but he's, he's going to counsel them too. And I, I love what happens because three unique groups of people will arrive by the lake. And they're each going to ask John a specific question. And not and each of these groups really don't even like each other. Okay? In fact, two of them have disdain for one of them, and the other one are just Romans, and they hate those guys because they're jerks. So he says this in verse 10, And the crowds asked them, asked him, What then shall we do? <laughs> All right? John, you're telling me that, that I'm a brood of vipers, right? And that my heart needs to be made right. So what do I do? How do I bear fruit that keeps in step with repentance? And he answered them, whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. And whoever has food is to do likewise. And then verse 12, tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, collect no more than you are authorized to do. If you've been following in our, in our family groups, we've been watching the, the show The Chosen. Uh, and this last week, uh, there was a lot of focus on uh, Matthew, who is a tax collector. And, and so John says, hey, listen, you guys have been ripping off your own people. You've been skimming from the top. And he just says, stop doing that. He says, take what is owed to Rome and give it to Rome. 
Then he says, verse 14, soldiers also asked him, and we, what shall we do? And he said to them, do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusations. So they're running around like the mob. And they're saying, if you like protection, you just got to pay us. And it says, and be content with your wages. And so, so after John preaches this blistering sermon, the people wish to know what they must do to be saved. And John MacArthur once put it this way, that hard truth will make for some soft people. And the heart of the people has been softened. And, and John's response to them is really helpful because he'll say, as the result of your repentance, he'll say the fruit of your life will look different. You'll be marked by living in ways that appear to be countercultural, but not counter to the culture God has always called us to live. Okay? That's, what, that's what's remarkable when we get to uh, the later part of these Gospels, any, any of the Gospels we've walked through, right? In Matthew and John and here now in Luke, uh, what we get to hear Jesus come in and, and he will tell us, just be a nice person to other people. Stop being jerks. And we're like, man, that sounds so revolutionary. And he's like, this is what God has told us to do all along. That we are marked with by people we are marked as people who live counter to our current culture because our current culture lives in darkness. And the gospel will say, you, you're a light bearer. And so the manner of your living is different than those who live in darkness. And, and so, so what, what does this fruit of repentance look like? And it looks like a lot of different ways. Uh, but John gives us these three, and I think they're so helpful. He just says, be generous, be honest, and be kind. And which of us with a three-year-old kid, don't try to teach that to them each and every day? Right? Be generous, be honest, be kind. And the crowd wants to know specifically what, that, what repentance will look like. And John says, you show its fruit by being generous. You see how generous God has been to us in Christ, and then you would look in similar kindness to, on your neighbors. Then the tax collectors come, and, and they ask about repentance, what it looks like. And John says, just be honest with the people. Stop extorting them. And then the soldiers come to him, and John says, be kind and stop stealing. And you're like, that seems overly simplistic, John. And he says, it's a sign of a heart that's been changed by the gospel, by the good news of Jesus. And now these people are living on one side of the cross, and we get to live on the other side. So, so John's baptism, and he's going to talk about this, I think, next week. Uh, he's going to talk about how his baptism is, is really just temporary. That there is one to come who will really baptize you. And so, so what repentance does is it causes us to examine our own lives with, uh, specifically, right? And I think we must think about, uh, just think about your own calling or think about your own position and your own privileges uh, and ask, am, am, if I am in Christ, am I using those things? Am I leveraging those things to help or to hurt? Am I leveraging those things to sin or to pursue righteousness? The job that I have, what stewardship am I doing with it? Does it simply benefit me or does it proclaim something about the goodness of God? The way I treat my employees, the way I treat my children... Is my life, if I am found in Jesus, is my life different? And so, so we must get before the Lord and we simply ask this, who am I, what are my callings? And then we ask ourselves, 
maybe what are the particular temptations of my calling? Because this is what he does. This is what he tells the people and the tax collectors and the soldiers. He says, says, what are the temptations of my calling? And he says, don't walk in them. (laughs) Simply just don't do them. For if we don't understand repentance, then then we don't accurately understand the Christian life. And so, so let's get to three more verses quickly so we can begin to see the shift of focus. As the people uh, were, uh, we're going to see it today. Um, As the people were in expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ. So so John comes in and his words are so revolutionary. They say, is he Jesus? Is he the Messiah? Is he the one? Like, like he, again, he told us to repent and he told us to be nice to each other. And they're like, this has got to be the Savior. It's got to be him. So they look at him in, in expectation and they're questioning in their hearts concerning him whether he might be the Christ. And John answered them all saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming. The strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And then watch, watch what he says here. It says his winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So he says there there are two different, again, there are two responses to the offer of Jesus. Either we get gathered or we get burned. Either we get gathered or we get burned. And the people hear John and they begin to wonder if he's, again, if he's the Messiah and they've been hoping for. And John sets the record straight immediately. Like he understands his role. He tells them that his baptism is is purely symbolic, that true baptism includes the gift of God himself, the Holy Spirit. And John makes it clear that the Messiah will bring God's fire of, of judgment. And that's why his call to repentance is so important for us to, to take hold of. That the best way to help people express proper affection to, to emul- is to emulate John by constantly pointing people to Jesus. They say, man, you're really good. You're a good person. And you're like, I wouldn't be apart from Jesus. <laughs> like, apart from Christ, then I, I, I struggle because I'm like, apart from Jesus, I don't know why I'm not uh, just the worst person in the world. Like, if I didn't have Jesus and the Holy Spirit living in me, I would be so incredibly hedonistic. Like, I would take advantage of people very quickly. And I know that because that's the temptation that I feel from time to time, that the Holy Spirit says, hey, you don't have to be a jerk, Brandon. You don't. And so, so our task is simply to do what John does here. We say, hey, you're a good person. He's like, I'm not because Jesus is. And the effect that he has in my life is, should be more evident. Come on, we can start wrapping this up. I, I, was, hoping, I was hoping to get through verse 22 today, uh, but every time I did, I, I, every time I tried, it, it didn't feel good about moving so quickly without giving us some time to do some uncomfortable work. Um, I, I don't want us to really move, uh, really, I, I don't want us to move past this huge instruction of repentance. I don't. In fact, I, I don't want us to be flippant 
about the instruction of, of God. I want to give us some space while we're focused on this message of that we would produce fruit in keeping with repentance. I want to give us some space this week and perhaps uh, this very moment uh, to allow us to explore our hearts with God. I want us to, to see where we might need to change our mind and our hearts and, and our direction. Because understand that there is, there is no revival in our land without first there being a people willing to repent. There is none. Like that's, I, I can't tell you how many conversations I, I've been in uh, just frequently uh, and, and lately about what we really need is uh, the people of God to turn their hearts to God. And I'm like, yes, that's a biblical approach. In fact, every time when you're in the Old Testament, that's what you get to see, right? When, when God's people render their hearts to Him, He blesses their land. And so in order for revival to be on our land, that has to start with His people and His people being willing to repent, not just globally, but to repent for what's going on in our own hearts. That's, that's the biblical model of seeing God move in great ways with His people. This begins not in the darkness of an unbelieving world, but in the hearts of those light bearers who have been redeemed by the King. That's how it starts. And so I want to encourage you, I want to challenge you to, to not be afraid to do the hard work. I want you uh, to encourage and challenge you to explore the places in your life where repentance is, is, is not just a good idea, but it's necessary. I think if you're, if you're at the place, if you, if you are at the place where you are, at the first step of repentance for your sins of your life, then, then know this. If you say, okay, let me rephrase that. If you've never repented before in your life, I want you to understand that, that the first step of true repentance is toward Jesus. And if you've never asked Him to be both your Lord and your Savior, that's your first step. And now maybe you are in Christ. And if you're not in Christ, then, then I, I beg you, to let's have a conversation about that. But if you are in Christ, that doesn't mean there aren't things you should repent from today. I think our, our laziness at times, I think our apathy at times, I think our unwillingness to submit our lives to, to God's way, all those things are opportunities for repentance. Every one of them. And now here's, here's the danger of a morning like this. Because you can look at me and you can even look like, yeah, I'm going to do that today. But I can't expose you. You could very easily walk out of this room today and you could hide behind the mask of your own face. And those words would mean nothing. So I can't guilt you. I don't believe guilt can be a good motivator for much of anything in life. But I can plead with you. That you know 
you're willing to go to the Father about these things or not. And understand this. When you know there's a thing that you are called to repent from, and you choose not to, God doesn't overlook it. He doesn't. One of my most, I think, not dangerous, I think one of the best prayers I've prayed for you is that God would grab hold of your heart and squeeze so much that if you're unrepentant, that, that you would only sense relief when you do. That it would bother you. That it would at times feel like it's taunting you in the best of ways. Because here's the thing, you know, you will know. You might be able to fool the rest of us. And I think that's why John comes in and says, through the fruit of your life, you show your repentance. And those things don't have to get mustered up. That's what the beauty of the gospel. You don't have to muster up generosity. When I remember what Jesus has done for me, I don't have to reluctantly say, all right, I guess I'm going to help you. It is my joy as an image bearer of the Son of God. I love you guys. I'm done rambling. Our desire this week is to love God. Bye. Please stand with me. If you need prayer today, we want to pray with you. We'll have some people over here. If you want to meet Jesus today, you want to give him your heart, we have some people over here who would love to begin and, and start that conversation with you. I love you. Let's pray. Father, Thank you for your goodness and your kindness and your mercy. Thank you that you call us out. When we pray this morning, we talk about repentance, that we would begin the hard work of examining our hearts. And that your Holy Spirit would give us the courage and the strength to walk in repentance. Father, give us a bitter taste of, of sin to where we can't even have it in our mouths. And help us see more clearly, more and more clearly, the city of God. So that we know with confidence that we are going the right direction. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.